Well, I invite you to turn to the book of Acts, book of Acts chapter 1. And today we're going to wrap up this brief sermon series on what we term habits of grace. Our, our goal at the outset of this new year has been to call attention to the main things that we do as a church, as Emmaus Road Church, and why we do them, and why we do them the way we do them. It goes without saying that different churches do highlight different practices, and they highlight them and organize them and emphasize them for different reasons. But at Emmaus Road Church, we, we emphasize preaching God's Word, typically, book by book, in an expository manner. And there are reasons that we preach God's Word the way we do. At Emmaus Road Church, we emphasize corporate worship, this gathering. And there are reasons that we express our worship together as we do. At Emmaus Road Church, we emphasize gospel community. And there are reasons we are devoted to building and nourishing spiritual community with one another the way we do. And ultimately... As Courtney said so eloquently, the aim in everything that we do is for the sake of the joy of your faith. That's because when we live by faith, when we live intentionally, in intentional reliance on all that God has promised to be for us, then not only do we find satisfaction for our souls, but God gets all the glory. And so when we preach, we preach with the goal that you will live in joyful reliance on all that God has promised to be for you in Christ Jesus. When we sing, we, we sing with the goal of expressing and seeking our joy in all that God has promised to be for us in Christ Jesus. When we gather in missional communities or discipleship huddles, our aim is to serve one another in fighting the fight for joyful faith in all that God has promised to be for us in Christ Jesus. It's all for the joy of your faith, so that God gets all the glory. Now, today, I want to highlight one more of our corporate so-called habits of grace. And to be totally transparent, this is the habit we need to develop the most. When I say we, I'm talking about Emmaus Road Church. This is the habit that we can use the most work. So my, my purpose today is to explain why we witness. And to be clear, my aim is not merely to pile up a you know, heap of motives in order to compel us to witness. If it was, I expect I'd see the vast majority of you kind of bracing yourselves for a shame fest. Oh no, here it comes. We already know we should witness. We already know there are lost people bound for eternal punishment if we don't witness. We already know that for the most part we don't witness. So go ahead, you know, lay it on us. But shaming and scolding is not gospel motivation. So, loved ones, I have news for you, and I pray it will be liberating news, good news. My, my aim in this sermon is to show that the ultimate cause of our witness, the ultimate explanation for 
our witness is not us. So, why then do we witness? And there may be no better explanation than Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. So I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to ask you to give your undivided attention to God's Word. And I'm going to, I'm going to read Acts chapter 1. I'm actually going to read verses 6 through 8. So, here we go. So when they had come together, they asked him, they asked Jesus... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is God's authoritative word and his unbreakable promise. So let's pray. Lord, it is your promises that you have spoken that are the object of our faith, the object of our assurance, the object of our confidence. Thank you, God, for the promises in this text. They are extraordinary. And I pray that they would function and get things done in our lives. They would, they would intensify our our hope in you, and our joy and satisfaction in you. They would cause our fears and anxieties and stresses and worries to diminish. And Lord, that you would actually keep these promises as we are thinking about them and entrusting ourselves to them even now. Would you do this, God, so that you would be glorified in our city, and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, so my unashamed, my unapologetic goal in this sermon is to persuade you to eagerly and expectantly pursue the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I appeal to you to obey the Apostle Paul's command in Ephesians 5.18. Loved ones, be filled with the Spirit. All of you, all of you, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Make it your daily request of your Heavenly Father to be filled again and again and again with the Holy Spirit. You and I are evil, we are sinful to the bone, and still we know, we know very well how to give good gifts to those whom we love. So how much more will your heavenly Father, who is holy and righteous and sinless, give generously the fullness of the Spirit to those who ask Him? 
my dear Emmaus Road Church, it is being continually being filled with the Spirit that changes everything. It, it changes the preaching of the Word. It changes the hearing of God's Word. It changes the way we sing. It changes us. It changes our relationships. And oh, how it changes our witness. That, I believe, is the main point Jesus is making in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see the connection between the working of the Spirit and our witness. See the connection between when the Spirit comes upon us, and then we receive power. When the Spirit comes upon us and fills us, then we will be witnesses. These disciples whom Jesus is addressing in Acts 1, they've already received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They have experienced new birth. They are already Christians. As we said a couple weeks ago, the pilot light is already on. The Holy Spirit is already in them. But they had yet to experience that... <sighs> like the sound of the furnace going on, right? Because when they experienced the filling of the Spirit, the coming upon of the Spirit, that... <sighs> then they would receive power. And then they would become witnesses. In other words, witnessing is an expression of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what I believe is the, the point that Jesus is making here. Witnessing is an expression of the fullness of the Spirit. Powerful and fruitful preaching is an expression of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Singing together corporately is an expression of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Lay down your life. Love for one another is an expression of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And loved ones, witnessing is an expression of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, listen, here, here's the, the main point. I'm, I'm just going to keep bringing it before you. The ultimate explanation for faithful, fruitful witness is the empowering presence and person of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's vital and necessary, of course, that we would understand that the ultimate purpose of our Heavenly Father is to be treasured and to be worshipped by people from every tribe and language, nation, people group. Of course it is. That is a reason why we worship, uh, witness. We witness because our Heavenly Father's purpose is to fill the earth with the knowledge of His glory as revealed in Christ Jesus. And if we lack a keen interest in that, in the driving 
compassion of our Heavenly Father, if we're not stirred by the goal that lies most heavy on the heart of our Heavenly Father, we are the most arrogant and ungrateful children. Of course that's a reason. And is it vital and necessary that we understand that we, God's people, are God's ordained means of fulfilling his purpose? Of course. God has a plan for winning the nations and making them worshipers of Christ. And that plan is us. That's a reason that we witness. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom, of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word. The witness of Christ. So, so, loved ones, God's purpose is to be treasured and glorified among all the nations as he's seen in Christ. That's why we witness. And God's people are God's chosen plan for the fulfillment of that purpose. That's why we witness. We need to get all of that right. Nevertheless, and I say it again, the ultimate explanation for faithful, fruitful witness is the empowering presence and person of the Holy Spirit. Changes everything. Now, when I say witness, I'm, I'm referring to the testimony of men and women, boys and girls, to their experience of redemption. The redemption of a full, soul-satisfying relationship with God through the substitutionary and sacrificial death of Jesus the Christ. That's why Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Or more literally, you will be witnesses of me. He fills that out in Luke 24, 46 to 48. Jesus said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in, from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So you saw the Christ suffer and die. You've seen the Christ risen from the dead. Now go, testify to what you've seen and heard. So when we're speaking about witnessing, we're talking about recounting personally personally, how God has restored us through Jesus to a relationship with himself in which we enjoy this lavish love, this astonishing forgiveness, his faithful care, his abounding mercy, his perfect wisdom, and his heart-satisfying nearness. That's what we just sang about a little bit ago. Testifying is what witnesses do. They tell what they've seen, they tell what they've heard, they tell what they've experienced. And so when Jesus says in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses, he means you will be witnesses to your own personal experience of me and of what I've done to restore you to full, soul-satisfying communion with God. That is what 
Acts 1-8 witnesses do. But how do we explain why? How do we account for the courage? How do we account for the effect and the power of just simple people? How do we explain their faithfulness and their supernatural impact? These are things that flesh and blood cannot do. Flesh and blood cannot make people new. (laughs) So let me say it again. The ultimate explanation for faithful and fruitful witness is the empowering presence and person of the Holy Spirit. Now, look at Acts 1.8 again. What's simply astonishing about this verse is that the cause of faithful, fruitful witness is not ultimately our, our, our disciplined resolve. Nor is it our winsome personalities. Nor is it our creative tactics. Nor is it our persuasive arguments. Rather, the cause of our faithful and fruitful witness ultimately is, listen, it's the fulfillment of the promises that God has made. Jesus says, you will receive power. Loved ones, that's a promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. That's not a threat. It's not a, you will be. It's a, you will be. So the way that the Spirit makes us witnesses is through the fulfillment of God's promise to empower us and to make us witnesses. So how does that work? How does God actually fulfill His promises of power and His promise of witness? Or or to say it another way, what does the Spirit do that causes faithful and fruitful witness? Well, first, in order for a witness to bear a valid testimony, they have to have witnessed something. They have to see something, right? According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So so the starting point of witnessing is seeing the light of the glory of God in the person of Jesus. And, And how is it that this light comes on and shines in our hearts in such a way that we actually see God as glorious in the person of Jesus. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
being transformed. When you see this, it changes you. It, it does something to you. So how is it that we see this glory? He says, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit makes us witnesses by causing us to see God as glorious in the person of Jesus. Maybe you remember a time in your past, that time in your past when you'd read or you would hear truth about God as seen in Jesus, and it just had no effect on you whatsoever. I mean, it was nothing glorious about it. No, whoa, no, uh, you know, it's, it's just, just words, just a name, just blah. But then one day, God the Holy Spirit said, let light shine there in that heart, in that soul, in that mind, and whoosh, you saw, you saw God as glorious in the person and work of Jesus, and once you saw, you became a witness to someone awesome, it was the Holy Spirit working in you, revealing glory to you, that made a witness of you. Second way that the Spirit works and makes us to be faithful and fruitful witnesses by, is by inspiring words. The Spirit inspires words. It, certainly one of the most significant obstacles for me personally in being a faithful, fruitful witness is my terribly slow mind. I, I so identify with Moses. You know, I, I just, why, why would you use somebody? I, I don't talk so good because I don't think so quick. Words do not come easily for me. Preparing to speak in a formal setting is just typically long and laborious of, of a task. So how often someone will ask me a question and, and I'm just, And, and then the next day, this, this really clear response comes to my mind. But, but see, then there are also times that I feel like I'm just being carried along. <laughs> Whether our minds work fast or slow, inspiring our speech is how the Holy Spirit makes us fruitful in our witness. Listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's what the Spirit does. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, you know, Mr. Foot in Mouth, filled with the Spirit, said to them. He said things. 
Spirit-inspired things. Verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Take heart, my introverted friends. My, my wife says to me, yeah, let's just go out and meet people. You might as well have just said, Let, let's just go out and have a colonoscopy. It's not the worst thing, but I, that's not the kind of thing you just want to go out and do. Sorry, that was not in my notes. <laughs> Faithful, fruitful Christian witness is ultimately a result of being filled with the Spirit. Thirdly, the the Holy Spirit makes us witnesses by positioning us and our hearers precisely where they need to be. It, It happens miraculously. Sometimes we are positioned by God where we need to be to witness and he does, and it happens voluntarily on our part. He says, go, and we go. Like in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Just that phrase all by itself is so amazing to me. <laughs> How the Spirit moved him, and positioned him. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, the desert place. And he rose, and he went voluntarily. And there was an Ethiopian. (laughs) And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, namely the scripture that the Ethiopian had been reading, Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. So how are we going to get you connected with this unreached African immigrant? We'll go down there (laughs) to that that dry spot and, uh, you know, just get on the road, and, and, and Philip went voluntarily. So sometimes God says, go, and witness to the Ethiopians, and we go. Sometimes God says, go, and we don't go. And so sometimes, sometimes the Lord moves us into witnessing position involuntarily. Here's what I mean. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Luke recounts this great persecution that came against the disciples in Jerusalem. And as a result of this great persecution, Christians are just running for their lives. They don't want to get stoned like Stephen. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. (laughs) 
Jesus did say, you will be my witnesses. I promise you're going to be my witnesses in old Judea and Samaria. So go. But, but they didn't go. They didn't move. They didn't go to all Judea and Samaria until the Lord moved them, <laughs> relocated them involuntarily, but he did. And, and, and there are t- other times when God seems to say, come to people. Come and hear God's word. And those who need to hear the good news, come voluntarily. Like in Acts 14, verse 1, Paul and Barnabas, they're visiting the synagogue in Galatia, in the city of Iconium, and it says, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks, Jews and Greeks, they had come voluntarily. Somebody had invited them. They came, and they believed. And then there are times when people who have absolutely no interest nor any intention of coming anywhere near the word of Christ, but the Spirit brings them into contact with our witness anyway. How else do we account for the reality that one of the most unreached people groups on the planet where witness, Christian witness, is illegal have come to our fair city. <laughs> As a persecuted minority, there are more than 3,000 Nepali-Bhutanese refugees who did not choose to come here, but they were relocated, relocated here to Sioux Falls where they have been brought in accordance with God's providence and the fulfillment of his promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, into proximity with the testimony of Jesus to the praise of God's sovereign and glorious grace. My, my friends, the ultimate explanation for faithful, fruitful witness is the empowering presence and person of the Holy Spirit as he positions people providentially and sovereignly to hear and to speak. One more question. When does the Spirit come upon us? You know, that, that mysterious... <laughs> it's not like we turn the thermostat up and then all, you know, it just goes. You, it, it, how does it go on? How does this work? When is it that we are filled in such a way that the Spirit makes us faithful and fruitful witnesses? Jesus says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. When is when? How do we know when when is? Do we have anything to do with when? And according to Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it seems that the when happens while we are waiting. It says, and while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So, so crucial to experiencing the filling of the Spirit necessary to experiencing that that empowering work of the Spirit is waiting. Waiting. But what, what does waiting, 
What does that mean? Um, as we look at waiting, the waiting that the disciples did in the book of Acts and elsewhere in the New Testament, it is not the same kind of waiting that happens at the doctor's office. You know, like you're sitting there forever. Waiting as Jesus intends is not the same as twiddling or web surfing or idling or waiting for the Spirit to come upon us is not a passive thing. To be filled, to be being continually filled with the Spirit, it's, it's an active thing. This kind of waiting is an active thing. To, that command is a present, active, ongoing activity. So Jesus says that our Heavenly Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So waiting at least means actively, persistently asking, seeking, knocking. It also means that we wait objectively. That is, we're, we're, we're entrusting ourselves to something. In, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul raises the question, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, and we might add works miracles through you, does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer that he expects is hearing with faith. The answer that he expects is hearing God's word, hearing his promises, and trusting those promises. That's, that's waiting. So this, Remember this little acronym that we've referred to many times, APTAT, A-P-T-A-T? While we wait, we admit our need to God. So I get up this morning and I'm going, Lord, this is, this is going nowhere. This is just flesh and blood unless you come. I need you. Once we've admitted our need, we pick a promise, app, app, A-P. Something objective that God has said that he will do. Something like filling us with the Spirit. Something like empowering us. Something like making us to be a witness. I, mean, I think I pray that promise every week. Lord, you promised to make me a witness. You promised. You prom I'm trusting you. And then we trust the promise. <laughs> and as an expression of our trust, we, we act. We act. And, and, and in this case, we witness. And it is then that the Spirit moves. And then when the Spirit moves and does what only God can do, we give thanks. So we wait. It's an objective thing. It's an active thing. It's an engaged thing. But we also wait spiritually. What I mean by that is, is, is that we ask the Lord to show us what to do. <laughs> you know, like when an angel tells Philip to go down the road, how do you explain that to somebody other than that's like a spiritual thing? 
When, when the Spirit moves us, how do we explain that? It's, it's not like something that you can kind of get a hold of. It's, it's, it's spiritual. In Acts 13, it says, There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. So they're, they're worshiping, fasting, praying. These are spiritual things. And that, that's waiting. And while they're waiting, doing those things, the Spirit communicates. So I've made it a habit during my time alone with Jesus. I've done this for years. I'll ask the Lord, is there anything else you want me to pray for? Is there anyone that you want me to pray for? Is there anything else you want me to give attention to? Is there anything that you are doing today is there anything that you're up to in this place where you'd have me be involved? I asked that question. That's a spiritual question, right? I mean, anybody home there with me? No, it's, it's I, the Lord is invisible. And the way he communicates is, is subjective. And whenever I have asked that question, those questions something, someone has come to mind every single time. You, you, you know, when we ask our Heavenly Father for these things, we, we can be sure that He is not going to give us scorpions and snakes when we're asking for Him for the working and the moving of His Spirit. Do you believe that He's good? And then we wait corporately. We wait together. That's what they were doing in Acts 13. They were waiting together. Just before the Spirit's empowering presence came on those disciples for the very first time in Acts 1.14, it says, all these were, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together. Now see, that th this is where in your discipleship huddle and you say, Holy Spirit, where today? With whom today? Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So the ultimate explanation, the ultimate explanation for faithful, fruitful witness is the empowering presence and power and moving and working of the Holy Spirit.
may we entrust ourselves to God for the fulfillment of this promise and act in faith for his glory together until all the nations are praising Jesus. Let's seek him now. Oh, Lord, what, what do we do next with, with promises like this? Well, we know that there are people and peoples and even nations and tribes and languages here in our own city that you would have praising you for the fullness of joy of being redeemed and restored to relationship and full communion with, with all that you have promised to be. And they aren't experiencing that yet. And we also know, Lord, that your people are your method, your plan. You will be my witnesses. And so, Lord, we, we know that there are dozens of flesh and blood obstacles within us and about us that characterize us that would hinder that from happening, being fulfilled in a fruitful way. And so we look beyond ourselves now to you. We look to you. You've made promises to us to empower us. You've made promises to make us witnesses. You've made promises that if we ask, you will give the Holy Spirit. You've commanded that we be continually, continually filled. And so we look to you again today. And we entrust ourselves to you, to you and to the promises that you have made. And we wait upon you. Spirit of God, fall fresh upon us. That we might be witnesses of the glorious Christ. Faithful, fruitful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.